So settle back and enjoy another afternoon of snooker. What a shot. This is so special. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. And that'll put a little spring and a step. He's done it. This is Snooker Club. This is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. I've been on things like Taskmaster, covered in yogurt, sending cheeky texts to Greg Davis, that sort of thing. Love the Apollo. I've been in various places. What you might not know about me is I'm a massive lifelong snooker fan and it is now my privilege to host the World Snooker Tour's new podcast, Snooker Club with, I can't really believe I'm saying this, but I'm just across the table from him, seven-time world champion Stephen Hendry. Hi, Stephen. How you doing? He's, he's really here. We're going to be doing this every two weeks till the end of the World Championship in May. It'll be the, the World Snooker Tour's official podcast, behind the scenes, life on tour, guests from the world of sport, music, entertainment and celebrity snooker fans. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Looking forward to it all the way to the World Championship, seeing who is uh, the best players, uh, getting some behind the scenes from the players and some insight from the fans and seeing if you really are as funny as people say. I'm looking forward to it. A little bit of pressure. Fine. Absolutely fine. A little bit of pressure. I can deal with that. Didn't think I'd end up meeting you, but here we, here we are. Over a brown cloth table as well. Yeah, we might as well say this now. We might as well get it out of the way because people are going to see the video of this and like, they've chosen this room because it's got a snooker table, but the, the yeah, the cloth is brown, which psychologically must make a difference. Yeah, yeah, especially for uh, colourblind snooker players like Mark Williams. Is Williams colourblind? Yeah, yeah, he can't tell the brown from the red. He has to ask the referee sometimes. Really? Yeah, yeah. There's actually two, been two or three done the years, which is for a snooker player is probably... Quite a quite a disadvantage. I'd say if you're colourblind, snooker's the worst game you can get. <laughs> surely, yeah, he makes you wonder what Williams would have won if he hadn't been colourblind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he has hit the wrong ball before. So, so yeah, it's um, That's amazing. I suppose there's only one brown and there's a lot of reds. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you should be down this end anyway. I was going to say, why, why are you up that end unless you're clearing the colours at the end of the day? You should be down at this end with the black and the pink. So any other snooker players that are colourblind? Peter Ebden. Ebden. Peter Ebden was. Yeah, uh, he was colourblind. Um, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So that's a very early exclusive to the to Snooker Club. If you're, we're going we're gonna to lift a lid on all sorts of stuff like that. Any allergies or anything else? <laughs> the idea of this is just to sort of um, get inside Snooker a bit and get some sort of um, insight into the stuff that people don't normally see. Mm. Um, I mean, Snooker's got real personalities and stuff, but maybe a lot of the time you see people interviewed after the match, they're quite kind of... Yeah, it's quite predictable. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a lot of times, and I think a lot of sports, you're interviewed virtually the moment you come yeah. off the table, and it's hard to have any sort of personality other other than yeah. you know, whether you're disappointed or delighted you've won. So you're never doing. We're going to get anything, I think, that interesting of a player. So um, so yeah, hopefully we get a, a chance to ask players questions yeah. that maybe Rob Walker wouldn't. Yeah, just now and again with Snooker, you do get one where you see someone that's. Like just off the table and they're furious. Yeah. Just been knocked out of a tournament. They just have a complete meltdown and yeah. say, "Look, why am I doing this? This is." But yeah, yeah more more of the time, you're going gonna to be fairly. You generally get more interesting comments from people who've lost yeah. than won. Um, normally, when you've won, it's boring stuff. Normally, yeah. the normally they're, they're they're complimenting how good their opponent is, which they'd never do if they'd lost their opponent. Right. Yeah. You never <laughs> when you beat someone, you'll say, "Oh, he's what a player he is, fantastic player." If you lost them, you won't say a thing. You don't want to compliment them. Yeah. Is it when you lose? Is it? It must be annoying to have to do an interview at all, right? You, you, you oh, I mean, I, I've done interviews where literally I've been asked. I mean, to be to be fair, there's there's, there's there used to be more journalists mm. uh, at snooker events than there is now. Now there's one or two that sort of do all the newspapers right, kind yeah. of thing. Now there used to be one from each newspaper, and I've done ones where 
I've literally said one word. Yeah. Literally one word when I've lost, and they get nothing out of me, and it's just uh, a word we can't repeat. Or um, no, it'd be yes or no answers. Right. Yeah. Basically, yes or no answers, and that's just me being in a massive huff. Yeah. And because I've literally just walked off the table and lost. Um, yeah. Usually to someone I thought I shouldn't have lost to. So I'm in a, just a very, very bad mood. Yeah, which um, makes sense. And snooker's a, like it's a long game as well. It's not yeah. like it's not even like football. If you if you put sort of seven or eight hours into a world championship match and then you lose, it must be or even tennis isn't that long. There's probably no I can't think of another sport which goes on as long as that. Like a best yeah. of a best of thirty five or something at the I crucible. Know. No, no, so in, in generally in snooker, I, I presume like golf, it's an individual sport. Yeah. So if you've lost, generally it's your fault. Maybe yeah. in a team sport you could blame a goalie that's let yeah, one in yeah. or a striker's missed a ball so it's his fault, he's made sure he missed an open goal or something. In snooker when you've lost it, you're generally your fault. Unless unless you've been played off the table, which can happen. Um, but generally you've missed an easy ball or, yeah. or else you you've you know, it's your fault. So so you're you're absolutely devastated and then you get asked about it. How do you feel? How do you think I feel? And even with golf you've lost to a, a load of other people. Like snooker's mm. very personal in that way, yeah. isn't it? Just you against uh Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's you sat in a chair watching someone else put all the balls when you've made a massive error. So yeah. it's, 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 horrible. it's horrible. I always think that about snooker. Like, at least even with darts, even if someone's out playing, you're still going you back, back up to there. The you're back, yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah. Snooker. It's, it's snooker, you're just sat in the chair with about 15 voices in your head, all arguing. And, and making be, a noise. It must be awful. <laughs> the moment where you where you you miss one and, and you know yeah. he's going to go and yeah. get a century yeah. must be. It's, it's a worse mo- It's a worse moment. Does it feel more personal because of because of the way snooker is? Like if, if you don't like a guy, on a personal level, it must be it must be tough to be in a room. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, through my career, I mean, I've had one maybe count on one hand how many grudge matches I've had. Yeah, there are very very few where where I've I've had sort of. Maybe issues with my opponent, but generally it's not. Generally, it's, it's all it's all about me and yeah. all about how bad I've played. And generally, when you th- and 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 the worst ones are when you when you lose to people who think, God, oh, they shouldn't even be in the same table as me. But you but you're missing, and they're clearing up, and you're just looking at them around the table and like, with me and near the end, I mean, especially near the end of my career, I'm I'm like looking at what shoes they're wearing, what <laughs> suit they're wearing, and like, oh, how can I get beat? He's like, you know, he's he's got a double crease in his trousers. It's like he's got stains in his waistcoat. I'm losing to this guy with bad shoes. Oh, honestly, it's it's honestly the catalogue of things can go through your head <laughs> that they get to you. If you if your um, attitude isn't right. You you just think about everything. everything. I love the idea. You're looking at his waistcoat. What? Yeah. Oh, honestly. Well, he puts a break of 112 together. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the sort of thing we'll hopefully be talking about in the podcast. Just getting behind the game a bit. And uh, so, if you want to get in touch with the show, the email address is snookerclub at wst.tv. Snookerclub at wst.tv. The first thing we're going to talk about. Well, men talk about it. We've sort of already got onto it. Is um, how we spent the summer. But you've, I mean, mm. you've got an interesting life because you, you're obviously you're still. You say at the end of my career, but you're still playing. Um, yeah. What's What's your relationship with it now? My relationship with snooker now is is. I mean, if it was love hate before, it's uh, it's now love hate hate. Um, right. Because I'm I'm I've got I've got a wild card to play in any tournaments I want, um, and uh, and it's never been a comeback. It's never been to come back and try and win things anymore. It's mm. always been to just see what happens. But the problem is, I don't practice. <laughs> and how can you expect to go and do anything if you don't prepare? Well, yeah, I mean, even in the, in the briefing call we had for this podcast, uh, you were just on holiday. 
And you said I've not really been playing. So no. I've been playing golf, which is a different game. Yeah. To be absolutely I'm, fair, I'm, I'm, I'm basically on the golf course eight days a week. So that kind of gets in the way of, of preparation. I'm torn between. I've got. I mean, I lost in a qualifier recently, four 0 to Fergal O'Brien. To Fergal O'Brien, yeah. yeah. And now I probably play to about zero point zero two percent of maybe the way I, I could play. Yeah. Fergal, Fergal didn't play great. I mean, he's he's at the end of his career as well. He didn't play great. If I got to two percent, I'd have beat him. I couldn't even get to two percent. Now that's that's just. I mean, you walk get off the table and you think, what? Well, why am I doing this? But um, you know, snooker's my life. It always has been. And you know, I still think you know, at, at one point, one of these matches, I will give someone a beating. <laughs> but it's getting less and less likely with these performances. But. You know, I, I you know I prepared like two or three days before. I'm, I'm stuck between do I practice a lot for these, or do I just yeah. turn up and see what happens? Uh, and how much difference does it make the practice? It obviously must make a huge it, when, difference. When it was my job, when it when when I was in the nineties, it, it was practice was was all important. You know, you had to prepare for the tournaments, and if you didn't, you get to the tournament, you feel guilty because you hadn't done it. How long would you be doing? Per day? I'd be doing five six hours a day, yeah. five six days a week. Um, whereas now, if I've got a match. Um, as I say, I was so bad against Fergal O'Brien that I've not picked up my cue since, and I'm not going to pick up my cue till ten minutes before I play. So that's the new system. Right. The next system might be having a glass of wine, <laughs> but that's a dangerous road to go down. That's a last resort. But um, I'd like to see you at Ponds Forge just completely. <laughs> well, I've never been to Ponds Forge. That's the thing in itself. You know, when I was talking earlier about um, looking at people's shoes and suits and everything, I mean. I used to play the Crucible, full, Wembley Conference Centre, yeah. 3,000 people, full, Hong Kong, 3,000 people, full, and now I'm playing in a leisure centre with a swimming pool next to it. I mean, how would you get yourself up for that? That's, well, that's, that's the problem. I think this is what I'm fascinated by and what most new fans would be fascinated by, because I can't think of many people who've been sort of multiple world champion mm. and, and, but are now prepared to still play yeah. like at that level, not just in snooker, but across the... Uh, like I suppose, even someone like Andy Murray, he, he, he's still playing, but he's, yeah, he's yeah, at yeah. a certain level. Do you? I mean, does it bother you to get beaten by people? It, who, it, you, it does. You must, it must bother you because you're it, saying that like, you know that you're better. Than it, it does, and, it, and, it's, and it's something I'm kind of battling with. If, if this keeps going on the way it is, there's no point, um, you know, because you know, if it, you know, they say the, the definition of insanity: doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Yeah. I'm not practicing and going to matches. I'm expecting to all of a sudden play well. Um, you know, it's not happening. So yeah, there will be a time where I think, no, I can't. This, this is not yeah. enjoy. This is not from being like, oh, let's play in a few tournaments. Let's see if we can enjoy going out to a tournament. Quali-. But um, and, and and for me, you know, the qualifiers are are, are are always in sort of venues that are not very inspiring for me. Must be, yeah. Look, it's, 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 they have to be there. There's a purpose for these these qualifiers, and they have to be in these venues. But as I say, when you've played the venues I have, you, you, you're looking for a wee bit of inspiration, yeah, to get yourself up and. No, they're not really providing it, but that's not the whole story. That's maybe five percent. Ninety-five percent is it a fact. I'm, I'm, I'm basically I played shit and got beat. That's that's it. That that would be my, my press conference answer. Beat. I played shit and got beat. <laughs> like you're saying, you, you've only got to get to maybe two percent to beat someone yeah. like Fergal. In real terms, how much work would that take to, to um, get there? Do you reckon? Like, I'm not sure because in in, in there's a, a Jimmy White always said, you know, and and I see him in. in Interviews after losing, they says, "Oh, in practice, I'm flying," yeah. um, and I'm, I'm the same. I, I'll practice for two hours. I won't miss a ball on my own, yeah. and so I think, "Oh, maybe this match is the one." Um, but then I get out there and I don't play with the same cue action that I do in practice. So there, 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 lions the thing. If, if I can't convert that to that, then yeah. there's, there's no point. 
was no point. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Do you have people saying to you like, "Oh, I watched you growing up," or "You're my hero"? Or well, I seen I seen, I seen a comment on World on the World Snooker um, Instagram actually posted up, and they lost to um, a guy called Mohammed Asif. And, yeah. um, I'm not kidding. I mean, he probably deserved to win, but he, the run of the ball he got was unbelievable. The lucky goal was it was it was he fluked two frame balls and another one that won him the frame. Um, but that sounds like sour grapes. Yeah, but it's also reassuring <laughs> for a fan like me to know yeah. that you're still angry. Yeah. But someone posted on World Snooker, why is Stephen doing this to himself? And yeah. I thought, and I thought, yeah, why am I doing it to myself? Well, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, but, yeah as I say, it might not last forever. We'll see how it goes. The thing is, you're not exactly doing it to yourself, are you? Is, is that you? You must still love playing on, on some level. Well, as I say, snooker's all I've ever done. Yeah, and it's, it's well, it's not what I'm best at now. Um, I don't know what I'm best you're at now. At golf? Well, yeah, but possibly, possibly. Um, but, but yeah, the skills don't really translate. You can't break off in snooker and hit it like 200 yards. I suppose that's true. It's, that's true. But um, but yes, yeah, I worry that the more golf you play, the worse you'll be at snooker. Actually. <laughs> Because <laughs> you've it's, got to hit really hard in golf. Yeah, in practice, and on my own, like, I'm, I'm still, I'm still really good. I mean, my coach, I, I work with a guy called Stephen Feeney, sight right. Mm. He's worked with all the top players, and he says like, you, you play as well as anybody. But um, what's the point in practice? There's no point. I mean, obviously, you weren't playing at all for a bit. Mm. What led you to c- um, come back in the first place? Uh, I actually played a game of golf. Me and Mark Williams played Steve Davis and Barry Heron at golf in Essex. Um, about well, it was pre-COVID, so it must have been about four or five years ago. Um, and Mark was always on about to have a look with a Stephen Feeney because he worked with him when he won the World Championship. And, um, and he's never stepped away from it, has he, Williams? No, and he's and he's he's found his best form the last four or five years. Incredible. Um, but Barry said to me, he says, "Look, I'll give you a wild card. Do, do you want to play? I've watched your seniors' things. You look played. Do you want do you want a wild card?" I says, "Yeah, yeah." I says, "But I'm not. I don't want to play in everything." He says, "No." He says, "As long as you play in one tournament a season." You can you can have it for as long yeah. as you want, but if you play nothing, I'll take it off you because there's no point. Um, and, he, and he and he said again recently in my YouTube channel, says as long as I've got a hole in my arse, I'll have a wild card. So that's on video. He can't go come away from that now. He's always he going to have a hole in his arse. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not negotiable. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I mean, it's so as long as I've got that, then then why wouldn't you? I I'll play. But as yeah. I said. There's got to be a time where you think I can't, I can't put up with this not being able to make a thirty break because it's embarrassing. Because it's uh, the players that have beat me, they'll be decent players. But as I say, I need ten percent of my game will beat them, but I've not managed to get anywhere near that. Yeah, well, this the, is a really depressing conversation, so yeah, Mark. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I when you think this is the first episode of the podcast yeah, as well, yeah, like it'd be lovely if it was uplifting. We've got but seventeen of these dissecting yeah. my comeback yeah that's all it's going to be it's just <laughs> I'm just getting deeper and deeper into your brain <laughs> until you can't talk to me anymore hi I'm Luca Brassell and when I'm driving around in a Ferrari I love listening to the WST official podcast the Snooker Club uh, well actually we are, we are looking for correspondence from uh, from listeners and um, we've got a couple of questions to ask um, again snookerclub at wst.tv who is the most famous snooker player or any sports person that you've seen on holiday and what were they doing? I'll tell you what, um, a good one is actually. I was on holiday in Dubai. Uh, it'll be about, God, must be about 12, 13, 14 years ago. Um, and staying in this hotel in Dubai and we just walked past, we were going to the, the kids' club which I, and they had tennis courts and Roger Federer was there playing with his wife. Tennis, the tennis court. And I stood watching Roger Federer. There was no one else there. Amazing. I stood watching Roger Federer for about 10, 15 minutes. 
It's, it's quite funny to think that on holiday, Federer would still be playing tennis as well. I know, and it, was, it wasn't long after he'd won Wimbledon as well. You'd think he'd sort of want a bit yeah. of a break from it, yeah. Yeah, that's like me going on and then like win the World Championship and going somewhere and find a snooker club yeah. to have a game of snooker. Also, you think if you're Federer's wife, you'd be like, can we not play tennis? <laughs> let's, let's do something else. <laughs> a trivial pursuit or something. If you've uh, met a famous snooker player or any sports person, but I think extra points for snooker player, basically get in touch, snookerclub at wst.tv. The other question we've got for correspondence is, have you ever avoided going on holiday or attending a big event like a wedding or a birthday to watch snooker or to watch a sporting fixture, which, mm. again, we're looking for you to write in. Yeah. I think I'd... I mean, I don't think I have, but because the football team I support aren't good enough, but I reckon I would... I'd skip most stuff to watch, because a sports match is just it's a one-off, right? Yeah. You, can't, you can't... I know. Well, it's, I, I mean, there's a, a, a clash coming up in the season. The British Open Snooker Tour, which I'll be working for ITV, mm. is on the same weekend as the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup. So I'm kind of thinking, just, you know, will I put as much attention to the snooker while I'm watching the golf on my iPad? It's like, hmm, but obviously, being as professional as I am, I'll be looking at the snooker. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in a commentary box? Uh, I'll be both. Commentary box studios will be a, a studio, mix. So yeah, yeah. But I, I've never, I don't think I've ever avoided anything to watch a sporting event. I don't think I have, but I would, I probably would if I, I don't know, I mean... For me, it's like I suppose the biggest thing happened in Bristol City is a playoff final to get to the into the Premier League, which we have had one of those and we lost. But if it happened again, I think yeah. What, 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 what would what would what would you avoid? A, wed- a wedding? Difficult, isn't it? A wedding, you feel like you're meant to be there. Remember your family's wedding, would you? <sighs> Difficult. If it, it, <laughs> I, I'd be, I'd be firstly, I'd be furious with them. They even, but the trouble is with football, it, it can yeah, very quite, selfish. Yeah, like, and also you can't always. Like the wedding is organised maybe a year in advance. Then if you get to the playoff final or the FA Cup final or something, what are you meant to do? It's not their fault. It's no one's fault. But would you would you feign an illness? That's the trouble. Covid. Like <laughs> the obvious way is you feign an illness. But then if you're on if if you're picked up on telly and you and yeah. you're in the ground, I I think I'd almost have to say, look, I love you and everything, but I'm I can't come to your wedding because this might never happen again. We're playing for a place in the Premier League here. Yeah, I reckon wedding you can. You're in trouble if you miss it. Funeral is a, maybe even worse because yeah. you don't get another shot at that. I think I think snooker fans. I, th- I think the world championships are spared because it's so hard to get tickets. Yeah. For the you, crucible, if say you had tickets for the final, and then all of a sudden, you know, you found someone's getting mad or some something like that. Be that that be. If you're mad on so you'd never been to the crucible. Well, which I haven't. You'd been never fan. been to the final. I've, I've never been. I've got been tickets. To the Masters, they're but like gold dust to get tickets, and you got a ticket, and then something happened. That'd be a big choice, I think. Yeah, I mean, the world's final is maybe the best example of this dilemma mm. because yeah. it would be almost impossible. Again, I've, well, I'm normally in Australia when it when it comes round, but um, some years I don't go, and on those years, if, yeah, if I got a ticket for the final, I think you'd have to. Certainly, if someone got married, you'd just be like, I, I, I can't relate to that. I'm, I'm in Sheffield, <laughs> but if it's a funeral or family emergency, I don't know. You'd have to say <laughs> it's difficult for people to understand as well because snooker is. Um, would you miss the birth of your child to go and watch a snooker match? Birth of your child is difficult, <laughs> isn't it? I think you've probably got to be there holding the baby but with the, with the snooker on. Yeah, yeah maybe put on a, a TV in the corner. Yeah, what would be the biggest thing that, that you would give up in order to go? Again, get in touch with us and uh, let us know. I'm Stephen Hendry. I'm Mark Watson. And this is Snooker Club, the official World Snooker Tour podcast. Uh, so part of what we'll be doing on this podcast is obviously talking about what's happening. Um on the tour 
the tour has been back to mainland China for the first time in several seasons, actually, for the Shanghai Masters. Um, obviously, a big tournament. You must have played that in China. What's it like? Uh, the first time I played in China, I think it was in something like 87, um, and that was in Beijing. Really? Um, and, and I hated it. I was only 18. I hated it then. Um, it was just for an 18-year-old who from Scotland who had not been abroad that much. It was a very, very huge change for me. I didn't know they were playing in China in the yeah, the 80s yeah. It was, it was kind of. I think it was the late 80s. I think Steve was there in 85 or 86 with Dennis. Um, but it, they literally just started showing snooker on TV. Um, but what was incredible was is the enthusiasm they have for mm. watching snooker um, and sort of adulation. The players get then and now is right. so much. It's oh, it's ten, twenty times more than they get in the UK. They're like basically they're like gods. Um, so yet the players are made to feel like this. You know, really, you're made to feel like you're this godlike yeah. sportsman, which is which which is is is, is great, really. And, and the the atmospheres are are, are great. The, the 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 crowds are not. I would say the crowds are not. The live crowds are not. Sometimes not massive. Mm-hmm. They've, they've they've got their favourites, um, as as in everywhere. Yeah, like yeah. In the UK, I mean, obviously, like a Sullivan is like a, is like a god there. Trump, Ding Junhui is a massive hero. Um, so what, what's it like for Ding in China then? I think um, well, Ding won his first major ranking tour. Beat me in the final of the of the I don't know what it was called. Whether it was called the China Open or the J, the Beijing or something. It was in Beijing, and I was four one up, and he beat me. Nine five, I think, or something. That was his first right. major win. Yeah. He was eighteen, and that was. But it's funny because even even when I when I've been there recently, not as playing, but doing appearances and stuff, because um, I've been like sixty cities in China um, as a ambassador for Chinese Able Pool, which is completely separate. But a lot of people say, yeah, "We won't get out to pool." But but a lot of people say to me, "Did you let Ding win?" So that snooker could be popular, and I said, "You don't know me." <laughs> I was going to say, even though, just knowing what I know no, about you, it's like, like oh my god, not at all. But they, they, but they thought that that, that that was because I was seen as this. They, they call me the emperor of snooker in China, which is certainly what get called the UK. Um, I'll, but yeah. I'll, I'll set that in from, yeah. from time to time. <laughs> but in yeah, the it's, it's, so they, they almost they couldn't believe that he beat me in a final, um, yeah. but. Especially at eighteen, I suppose. Yeah, but he's yeah. he's he's been a phenomenon for snooker. He really has. Um, he's still, I think, probably the best player that China's ever had. Um, yeah. He's the best player, in my opinion, never to win the world championship mm. out of anyone. Um, and I'm including a lot of players in that. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy White, White yeah. Matthew Stevens, um, a lot of these very. I think Ding is is the best player never to win it. Um, but I think he's had huge pressure because. Yeah. China placed so much importance on winning the gold medal in the Olympics and being a world champion at that sport. Yeah. The best they did at the World Championship was when he actually had to qualify for the Crucible and he had less pressure on him. It was almost like less expectation. You can't possibly yeah. win from that. Yeah. But, um, but to, to play there is, 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 is phenomenal. I think it's been fantastic for the tour to have so many tournaments. Obviously, yeah. with, the, with the COVID break, it's, it's hurt the players in terms of not having as many tournaments yeah. to play in. Um, but speaking to the players, um, I think ninety nine percent of them have really missed going there because yeah. it's it's somewhere different. The atmosphere is different, um, and it's and it's just great that, that, that to have different tournaments and, and see. I, I used to love traveling. I, I mean, I absolutely loved it. I remember my time. I used to see players who just hated going abroad to play in anything. I said, "Well, why do you want every tournament in the UK? It's so dull. You want to see the world." And that was how I thought I was so lucky to do that. Yeah. So, um, and some of the places it takes you must be quite strange. Yeah. Like there's tournaments now in Germany, 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've, I've played Finland. snooker in Brazil, um, India, Japan. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, the recent Shanghai. The Shanghai is obviously the, the most cosmopolitan city, and, and yeah. um, you know, the Shanghai Masters is always the top sixteen players as well. So that's a it's a huge tournament for the for the players to start in. What did they do in Brazil? Was that a, was that a uh, the first time I went there? Was um, it was just me? I, I was world champion, and they were talking about having a world team championship there. So they asked me as world champion to go over there and play an exhibition. So I spent a week in Recife um, by the beach. Very strange thought. One one <laughs> exhibition, seven days in Brazil. It was fantastic. Amazing. Um, and then the second time was actually a tournament, a top sixteen tournament um, in uh, Montevideo. Mont- I probably pronounced that, that wrong. In Uruguay. Uh, no, it was in Brazil. I'm sure that's the name of the place. I might be wrong. Someone will correct us. But it was 16 players, and that was that's in Brazil as well. And um, because they've got their own sport, which is the table we were sat around there. I think they've got a, a similar sport with small table. Right. Um, that's in played in bars actually outside. So so billiard sports is quite, it's quite popular in Brazil actually. There's a, there's been one or two Brazilian. There's a guy called Figueiredo, is it? Yes. Um, yeah, he beat me in the World Seniors. There you go. Glad you brought him up. <laughs> and as and as you as on this podcast, I will always bring it back to me. Yeah. Yeah. And he every, beat me in the World everyone's Seniors. Everyone's beaten you at some ago. point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favourite thing about him as a snooker fan is he once lost a frame because he hadn't he'd forgotten his cue. Like no, he, that's yeah. He showed up without his. Uh, that's that's like, surely got to be a, 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 the first thing you think of, right? Even well, even before putting your underwear on. I think if I bring your cue. If I'm a snooker player, I definitely would yeah. show up with a cue. Yeah. Well, the return to the one of the biggest cities in the world is a popular one among the players. The WST team were out there covering the event in Shanghai. Ronnie, congratulations. 11-9 win over Luca Brussel, your fifth Shanghai Masters title. Just give us your reflections and your feelings on that performance. Um, I don't know. I just tried hard. I just tried hard. I just mentally just thought, you know, plan A is to kind of go to him, play strong and score big breaks and dominate the game. Plan B is if that ain't working, then you've got to just kind of keep your, your focus, keep your emotions in check and just try and sort of not... Um, lose it out of frustration so that was, that was one of them tournaments really I was quite well below par but in spells I played alright you know when I had to you know when it was on me I thought bloody hell better get my finger out here but um, yeah I wasn't on autopilot everything was a bit of a struggle to be honest with you, from start to finish. Yeah you said to us the other day actually that you've been playing awful for the last 18 months was that a bit better than awful today? Or? No it was awful yeah it was alright in spells it was okay you know Always play right in spells, but spells is sort of just um, makes you feel vulnerable, and you know you never quite feel secure, or strong in yourself. Yeah, when you're in the you know in the sweet spot, hitting the ball well, it just feels like an easy game. You feel like you can just do what you want on the table, and when it's not, you just you get scared of even coming to the table. You're like, oh, you know, it's frightening. This game can be so difficult some days, and other days it can be so easy. You know, I've, I've gone like two, three years without feeling like I've missed a ball before. You know, where I was just flying, and you think, why can I do that for three years? And all of a sudden, for 18 months, I feel like I can't part a ball. You know, there's some balls out there I was missing. I was like, like <laughs> it was just sort of. <laughs> In the end, I was just laughing to myself because I just thought, what else can you do? You know, better off laughing than crying, I suppose. You know? True, very true. Are you keeping the trophy this time? Now I'm going to give it to my friend who's opening up a club here in Guizhou. I promised him that if I won a trophy, he will be keeping it, so it will be staying in China. Have you got any of your, your five Shanghai Masters titles? I don't think so. I always give them away. You know, my mate Paul's got one. My friend's taking this one. I gave one to a little kid in the crowd. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not really bothered about trophies. I've, I've kind of sold quite a few of them. Really. <laughs> so if people are on eBay, they might find I them. I don't want any sort of memorabilia left by the time I'm sort of 70 or 80, especially when I'm dead, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for death. You're decluttering now. Preparing for death and trying to come at peace with it. And part of that is I don't want no snooker stuff like waistcoat cues. It's just all going to go. Fifth Shanghai title yeah. now, though. What is it then about Shanghai, the, the conditions of the city, what is it about it that you feel so I think the conditions might help me a little bit because it's hard, you know, it's quite heavy, damp, it's hard to move the white around, so players like me, Luke and Judd, we can kind of, we can manufacture shots and kind of get ourselves out of trouble, whereas the more methodical players probably find that a little bit more, you know, difficult, it's probably not in their armoury really, so... Um, and I just love the city and I love coming here. I love playing in China, you know, the only thing is obviously the jet lag, you know, it takes you six days to kind of get over it, you know, last two or three days I felt great. The first five or six was like, you know, I was absolutely shattered, you know, but I love it here, you know, the hotels are great, brilliant venue, top 16 players, you know, what's not to enjoy about that, you know? Would you ever live out here? You say how much you love it? I spend a lot of time here. I'll probably be spending three, four months a year here now. Uh, I'll be doing a lot of my work out here. You know, I've got a good uh, manager out here, good agent, um, some good things to do out here. So, yeah, I do a lot of my business out here. Um, you know, so that's why, you know, people are playing, hopefully be playing more of the events. And, yeah, just spend more time out here. I've got a, got a friend of mine that's got a house in one of the suburbs in um, southern China. So... If I'm here for like three, four weeks, then I've, I've got something like a home from home sort of, you know, uh, to go and where we can cook, relax, do my running, do my gym, got my snook practice table there. So yeah, yeah, I spend more time, I'll definitely be spending more time here. Sounds lovely. Um, just want to touch on Luca quickly as well. Yeah. He obviously won the Worlds back in May and was on such a high. Yeah. And then coming into this season, perhaps he could have been forgiven for taking the foot off a gas a, yeah. a bit, but he hasn't done that. He's yeah. really attacked this season. Yeah. How difficult is that to do obviously you'd have experienced that before going from world champion into a new yeah. season how impressed have you been with him yeah no i mean i'm, I'm not surprised because for the first three or four months after the uh, you know when you win the world championships you come back start the season usually like september up until like january february you're just on a high you know you're playing full of confidence so i'm not surprised that he's um done as well as he's done and he's not he's not a kind of surprise world champion you know we all know he's got an amazing gift to play this game and you know, you know, the performance he put in at Sheffield, you know, was just unbelievable, you know, to do it over 17 days. So he's improved a lot as a player and he loves the game, you know, he loves playing, he loves touring, he's got his girlfriend with him and they just seem to be having a great time. So, yeah, he's, he's, you know, I wish I was at his stage of his career, you know, how old is he, 28, 29? Brilliant, you know, he's a young man, he's got a lot, a lot of years and, you know, snooker's getting bigger here in China, so, yeah, it's a good time to be a professional snooker player. Lastly, how are you going to celebrate tonight? Uh, just dim sum, loads of food, Chinese tea, and then about four cups of hot milk. Cause that's what I've been drinking every night. I've had, I've had, I had the insomnia for 14 years, and I've had the best sleeps the last four nights in the last 14 years. There you go, prawn dumplings are the, are the key. Yeah, prawn dumplings. No, no, the milk. The I'm milk, over the okay. hot milk, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, enjoy the dumplings, enjoy the milk, Thank and a safe flight back. Thank you very much. Cheers. I'm Stephen Hendry. I'm Mark Watson. And this is Snooker Club, the official World Snooker Tour podcast. The Kazoo British Open next week in Cheltenham. So Stephen, you're covering the, the British mm. Open. It's obviously it's a sort of um, FA Cup style, completely random draw. Does yeah. that does that help? Do you think? Um... I think it helps the tournament. I think it's great to have tournaments that are a bit different from 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 the rest. Um, it obviously 
there, there's there's pluses and minuses where they're obviously people buying tickets they don't know who they're going to see they don't yeah. know what you know some most tournaments people might look at the draw and say well I might see such and such in that day but they don't know that but I think it's it's, it's I think it's a great tournament actually I re I, re I really enjoy it um, for the, the sort of unexpected um, you could get. Ronnie O'Sullivan drawn against Judd Trump in the second round. Yeah, um, and it's, and that for me is, is is the excitement of the tournament. Yeah, the equivalent of Man U yeah. playing Liverpool. Yeah. And, and it's it's obviously yeah. the, the first big tournament that's been seen, that's been in the UK. That's going to be in the UK um, this season. You just, you, it's one of so you never know what to expect. I mean, last year Ryan Day won it out, yeah. out of nowhere because he didn't really play that well until he got to the final and beat Mark Allen and they played really well at the final session. So it's, it's one of them tournaments where if you're around at the right time, you just hang around, keep winning your matches. You don't have to play brilliantly for the, yeah, whole, yeah, for yeah. the whole tournament. Be yeah. there at the right time. Maybe all the other top players have got beat and you're there at the end so you could get someone unknown that could um, yeah. quite easily come out and win the British Open. And that's, and that's the beauty of the event, I think. Do you prefer this, this sort of... Would you rather have a... Like a seeding system like the Crucible, or, or is it is it more fun to just be thrown into the the hat like that? Well, they used to have a tournament. Um, used to have the British Open years ago. It was played in Derby. They had the same same format, and after every round, John McCormick would come out and you do the draw with other players there. And I must admit, as one of the as at, at the time the world number one, you kind of wanted. To, uh, there was one time I did play Steve Davis. We were right. the one and two. And yeah, we did brilliant. play, and I think it was either second or third round. And I must admit, you don't as one of the top. You don't really want to play another no, top you, player early. You'd rather get get through a few rounds. Yeah. Um, but that that's what it is. That's the nature of the beast. I mean, you, yeah. as I say, you've got to have events that are different, and yeah. this is different. And it's a great way to start in the UK season. I remember you, I remember watching you just as a as a fan years ago, saying how much you hated the first round at, at Sheffield mm. because just just having to get it done. And yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first round. I mean, I think the players. Nowadays, place too much importance in the first round at Sheffield. I think that you just get on with it. Um, yeah. I, admittedly, first round draws are a lot more difficult than it used to be uh, in, the, in the old days. But um, but yeah, that, as I say, the British Open that's the beauty. You don't know who you're going to play, um, and yeah. that that's what makes it interesting. So you can end up with someone like Ryan Day, maybe winning it, out, like you say, out of nowhere. Anyone could win it. To mark the return of the Kazoo British Open, we've been asking some of the top players on tour what their favourite British things are, their favourite things about Britain. Rob, that's a bit of fun then. All right, go on. What are the best three things about Britain? Um, not a lot to be fair. Can you tell us your top three things that you love most about Britain, Mark? Sausage and mash, supporting my home city, Leicester, and uh, just the country itself. You know, people moan about it, but you know, there's a lot worse countries. Being British, jeez, there's not that much that, I'm, <laughs> that, I, that I love at home. <laughs> yeah, just probably friends and family. Maybe the first one's the Land Rover. Is it British? Yeah. I love the cars. They're a bit too expensive to order, otherwise I might Says the man who has a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe if, if I sell the Ferrari, I might get, get a Land Rover. Judd, what are your three favourite British TV shows? I like some of the bad comedy, like, in between us and stuff like that. Ricky, Ricky Gervais is what, actually. I love him. I suppose you've got to say Coronation Street, EastEnders. Top three British TV shows. I'd have to go Gavin and Stacey. I like that. The Royal Family as well. I like that. And Not Going Out, Lee Mack. Very good. You met him in the Crucible. Yeah, I did, yeah. I'm um, a big fan, you know. I've watched him on TV, like, got all his DVDs and it just increases me and makes me laugh. John, what are your top three things that you love most about Britain? Well, one, I'm Scottish. <laughs> so, two more. <laughs> Clean, fresh air, where I'm from, and some great golf courses. Rob, what are your three favourite British foods? 
It's got to be roast, in it? Roast number one, chicken tikka masala. Well, it is British, isn't it? And um, nice suet pie and mashed potato, something like that, something hearty, you know? Like, that's my sort of food. Lovely. Not a big fan of British food. <laughs> Chips, I like. <laughs> if that is British, I guess in roast dinner, I think. You mean typical British? Yeah, or? stereotypical. Oh, difficult. We won't judge you, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, normally, I, I, always, I always go to Wagamama. It's, I know it's Japanese, but yeah, I just love the Asian foods and, and, and UK. Yeah, Wagamama, sorry. <laughs> so it's a lot of fish and chips or...? I've only had it once, the fish and chips. That was with Jimmy White, like, maybe 16 years ago. Did, did he pay? He did, yeah, he did. <laughs> I went over to practice with him and he paid for it. Probably steak and ale pie and, I have to say, curry. Being from Leicester, we've got a lot of Indian restaurants. Luca, who are the top three greatest British sports people of all time? Oh, Lewis Hamilton, probably. I'm gonna say David Beckham. Because also now, like, he's like a businessman and he's like an icon, I think it's great, yeah. Yeah, I have to say Ronnie, yeah, definitely. The things he's done on the table and his records. Lewis Hamilton's got to be up there, and I definitely think Ronnie, I'll put them two on, on a bit of pedestal. You'd have to say Bobby Moore. I'm trying to think of the sports. I think Ronnie, and I'd have to say Phil Taylor as well. I mean, you can't really get much better than those three, can you? Andy Murray, Justin Rose, and obviously Ronnie's one of the greatest sports people we have as well. So Mark, what are your top three things about Britain? Not paying taxes, that's not, definitely not one of them. I don't know, is there three things? The weather's always crap, you get taxed to the hilt. There must be some good parts there. So there you have it, some of our pros' favourite things about Great Britain, and none of them even said the Kazoo British Open. Well, that starts on Monday at the Centaur in Cheltenham. Tickets are still available. Head to wst.tv slash tickets, and you can follow all the action across our social media platforms. Just search for World Snooker Tour. So, Stephen, well, first of all, top three British foods? Um, haggis supper. We've not got a lot of we Haggis <laughs> supper. Fair. There you go. I mean, as British foods go, that's pretty Northern British. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 Scottish rather than British. Obviously, sausage mean, and mash, but, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Haggis supper is, is yeah. Haggis supper. You ever had one? Haggis and batter I've, with chips. I've not have had haggis, but not like not a whole haggis. You do supper, the Edinburgh Fringe. You never have a haggis supper. I've I've managed to do quite a lot of Edinburgh Fringe with and like always swerve haggis. Don't do it. Supper. Don't yeah. swerve it. So a deep fried haggis. Yep. It's magnificent. It, it won't. Be attractive to people listening in other countries but actually you know we've got a reputation for being bad at food in this country yeah. but haggis supper i'd say sausage and mash bangers yeah. and mash um pie and mash um top three British. well top three British sports people this is more difficult mm. you can um, name yourself no i'm not going to name myself um nick faldo was one of my heroes in the 90s um i love winners i love people yeah. who've who've sacrificed a lot to get to be the best to get to the top um I suppose you and father were kind of similar in we were very similar like, i've watched interviews with him and the way he talks about being apart from everyone not being friends with people mm. not being keeping to yourself to, to in order to have that mystique to win, very yeah. same steve davis you put him he was my hero hmm sport people andy murray Right, yeah. I mean, that must be must be interesting watching someone. He's Scottish, though, and he's not British. 
yeah. British when he, British when he loses. Famously, yeah. <laughs> Scottish when he wins. Was Davis like that as a player? Was he was he like distant yeah. from other people? Yeah. Was he yeah, he very, very very much so. You could you could when I first turned pro, you could walk past Steve Davis in a corridor, he wouldn't even look at you. Never mind, say hello. Um, yeah. And I, I I found that difficult to be as cold as that, but I I, I realised why he did it, and uh, I adopted a similar way of being. Um, yeah, then in my career, I became friends with people and that destroyed me. Friends are overrated. There you go. You heard it here. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mark Watson. I'm Stephen Hendry. And this is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Okay, so you've had great pleasure in uh, bringing up all my defeats. I, I, I brought up a few on my own. Yeah, I'd say you mostly do it yourself, you yeah. That. So I will ask you, how, how is your snooker? Not great, Stephen. I mean, I... I'd say... Can you bought two balls in a row, for example? I Two, but after that I'm struggling. Right, it's, okay. it's, it's, I sometimes play with my mate uh, in a snooker cabinet. The, the trouble is it's what they these days, what they call cue ball control. Yes. It's, it's, you can maybe knock a red in and then you, f- you fluke the black and then you think, oh, bloody hell. It's why, it's why people say to me, oh, yeah, I can pop balls at snooker. I say, yeah, yeah, but can you bought two in a row? Or can you bought three in a row? Can you put the cue ball where it should be? That's the, that's the thing. I think it's the most difficult sport. Yeah, but... To best, but, but, but it is so... You know, I, I, I'm happy if I get, well, 20 break. And even then, I've only got them because the balls are in the right place. That's right. what people don't appreciate, I think. Yeah. To, to make a century, you've got a, you've got... And, and commentators always talk about the... The cue ball control. Yeah, it's funny if you're used to watching snooker and you see, you know, three or four frames go by in a couple of hours. Whereas if you're playing, you, you can play a whole hour and you're still both on do about you, do thirty points. Do you do the points. thing? I, I see people in snooker clubs. I used to like, and they get the cues off the rack and they roll them on the table to see if they're they're straight. I've seen people do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't I, make a blind bit of difference to them because they can't play anyway. No, it doesn't matter. Do you do that? You don't do that, do you? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> but I will. I'll sort of wait, wait the cue in my hands and say, yeah, that feels good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of the snooker I play, it comes down to fouls, actually. It, if someone, how long would a frame take? Oh, ages, yeah. <laughs> if someone like, accidentally goes in off, that's, that could be a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> Those four points make all the difference. <laughs> now, we're going to play a regular quiz uh, called 147, where you get 1 minute 47 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. And basically, uh, you can go for a uh, red, which is questions about yourself or on the colours green which is questions about snooker um, for three points blue general knowledge for five points or comedy my subject for seven points and uh, we're going to have a different guest play this every week but obviously you, you're going to set a bar here right Stephen. <laughs> so it, it, basically you keep answering reds and okay. then um, and then you can choose the colour each okay. time um, are we ready to start the clock we'll start the clock How many ranking titles has Stephen Hendry won? 35. I've got 36 here. Is it 36? Well, another red then. (laughs) Fair enough. What year did Stephen Hendry first turn professional? 85. One. I'll take a green. There we go. Uh, In what year did Cliff Thorburn win his final ranking title? Wow. Tough one, actually. 87. It's 85 again. So just one on the board. What year did Stephen Hendry first become world number one? 1990. Two. I'll take a, a green again. Uh, who is the first player referenced in the popular 80s snooker song, Snooker Loopy? Davis. Tony Mio. Oh. Tough one. You're on two. Okay. 
Who is Stephen Hendry's favourite? It's like one of my bricks. No, sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. just, if anything, this is going to make you feel worse about your life. Who is Stephen Hendry's favourite band? Uh, oh, I don't know what's put down there. You two? That's what I've got on the card, so uh, three. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going to go blue. What is the capital city of Canada? Quebec. Oh, Ottawa. So we're back to red. Who, I reckon you'll get this, who won the fourth series of The Masked Singer in which Stephen Hendry competed as a rubbish bin? Uh, that's a guy from Busted. Yeah, his, yeah I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah. Charlie Simpson yes, from Busted. Yeah. Yeah. Four. I'll take a... I'll go back to Snooker, I'll go green. Who was Ronnie O'Sullivan's opponent when he recorded the fastest ever maximum at the Crucible? Mick Price. Yes, seven. <laughs> uh, what was Stephen Hendry's tenth ranking title? Not got a clue. British Open. <laughs> I, what, UK Championship, is that the same thing? No. It's not, is no, it? No. <laughs> Still seven. Uh, another red. In what year did Stephen Hendry last play Ronnie O'Sullivan in a professional event? 2009? Yes. Nine? Wow, 11. Um, another red. This is an interesting one. Uh, which opponent did Stephen Hendry beat most times in ranking finals? Ranking finals? Yeah. Wow. Oh. Steve? It is, yeah. You're on eight. You've got uh, probably no time for another colour. Green. A green. Uh, no, black. Famous he's going black. Yeah. According to a recent YouGov survey, who is the most, survey I should say, who is the most popular comedian in the UK? Ricky Gervais. Oh, it's Peter Kay. And time up. You're, you're, uh, you've got eight. 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 I'm quite happy with that. Well, you're on the board. Yep, we'll see what... That's about my highest break in this comeback, yeah. Exactly, yeah. By by modern standards, not bad. We'll see. And also under pressure as well. People don't know what the pressure's like. People might be listening at home thinking, some of those are easy, but when you're in the hot seat. So we'll see what next uh, next week's guests get. But um, for now, Hendry, eight. That is the the benchmark. That's all from us this week on Snooker Club. Thanks for listening. Do get in touch with the show. Again, snookerclub at wst.tv. Let us know the best sighting of a snooker player you've had on their holidays and also the biggest thing you'd miss in order to go to a snooker match. Um, next week, tune into the 147, your fortnightly roundup from the uh, WST. And Stephen and I will see you in a couple of weeks. You'll have lost a couple more games by then. <laughs> <laughs> one. I've only got one tournament, so it'll just be one. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Enjoy it, Steve. Cheers. See you there.